I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. So I'm going to read from kind of more or less halfway through the book, which is from a section called, what is it even called? Hotel Diary, um, which kind of, tries to go through the various spaces in the hotel and talk a little bit about what they have meant, both to me and in the middle of this kind of dialogue with, 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 with Freud and his patient Dora, um, who come into the book quite a lot. Um, that sounds like a very overcomplicated description. I hope it will explain itself. Um, it goes in sections. The stairs. I'm reading some bits. Yes, because yes, 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 otherwise it will be confusing. The stairs, the elevator. One, going up. The stairs in the lobby are impressive and central. Or, alternatively, in some small hotels, the lobby is under the stairs. Everyone looks at the stairs, but most people use the elevators, which are hidden behind a screen as though elevation were embarrassing. Freud associated dreams of climbing stairs with the sensation of sexual exertion, at the time he treated Dora, Freud's clinic was upstairs from his home, which was in the apartment beneath. I don't know if his building had an elevator. Dora describes her dream. I see myself particularly clearly going up the stairs. I have tripped up various hotel stairs, evaded reception, the parlour plugs, the stair rods, the emergency lights, the fire extinguishers laughed, been shushed, laid myself down on single beds, alone or accompanied, if not in body, at least in mind. One man I kissed goodbye to on the street invited me back to his hotel, and there were still others to whose hotels I would surely have gone, if only I had known where they were staying. Did Freud say to Dora, would you come up sometime and see me? Where was Mrs. Freud all this time? One floor down, perhaps. Dora climbs the stairs to Freud's consulting room. I climb the stairs to my hotel. Two, going down. In another dream, Dora dreamt there was a fire at her house. Dora, we dash downstairs, and as soon as I'm outside, I wake up. When I go down in a lift, I get the same sensation in my stomach as when I'm coming. Freud says nothing about sex and going downstairs. In case of fire, the hotel notice warns me, do not take the elevator. The corridor is next to everything, is an inconvenience in which all doors are identical, in which the floor which normally recedes dominates, in which there is carpet on the walls and sometimes the ceiling even, in which there are no windows out of which it is difficult to get into somewhere else, although there is a function in which the elevator doors snap to and fire escape fire doors are airtight, in which each corridor on each floor is identical, which has to provide maps and the floor number by the elevator to avoid confusion, in which there are sometimes amenities which are also landmarks, the ice machine, the fire extinguisher the chip in the paintwork there used to be the elevated ashtray the door key when dora stays by the lake her father stays in a hotel but she stays in her Kay's home she does not have a key in dora's home the dining room is locked at home, Dora's brother is locked in his bedroom, which is on the other side of the dining room. 
At Dora's home, the larder is also locked, and Dora must ask her mother for the key. In Herr Kay's house, nothing is locked. She does not have the key in Herr Kay's house, but instead of being unable to unlock, she is unable to lock. Herr Kay has the keys. In my hotel, I have the key, but so does housekeeping. Someone can always get in when I am not around, or even when I am. Nevertheless, I lock the door at night. When I am at home but not with you, I lock the door and put the chain across, which I do not do when you are there. Dora, there might be a mishap during the night. At home there are no internal locks. Why would there be? Freud, the case has opened smoothly to my collection of pick locks. I have lived in a relation to desires, often other people's. It is easy to slot desire in. There is a hole in my side into which someone else's desires fit. It is only a matter of finding the right key, a key to the code which is made of words. I must not want the key always to be a man. Freud, no one who disdains the key can ever unlock the door. In the hotel, the key is a card. It looks just like a regular credit card and acts that way too. You slip it into the slot beside the door until the light goes green. The hotel reads the code and you're in. I'm going to read um, a, a whole story called Over and Done With. The wind hereabouts had worked up such a remarkable storm that made the news in the neighbouring country, and so one morning I awoke to inquiries from my family, my father to be precise about how I was faring. I said I was very snug indeed, which was no exaggeration, and I added that since my house is tucked into a hollow, it is reasonably sheltered and altogether quite safe. Then I said, sometimes I worried that a tree might fall upon it because I didn't want to reassure my father too much and thereby dispense with his concern entirely. I asked him, of course, what it was like there, and he said it had just been very windy, just that. I've been up since 5.30, he said, which was no great surprise to either of us because his new children are supremely young. And he told me, in fact, that the girl just then was eating a gingerbread man. Later on that day, or perhaps it was the following afternoon, I went out onto the driveway, and not unlike the method by which an oyster catcher grazes the shoreline, I bent down here and there to collect the many sticks and branches that had broken off during the storm, which kept up on and off for about a week, I should think. Hard to tell this time of year how long anything is going on for, and for that reason I took it upon myself to intervene now and then, such as when, just two days after Christmas, I avouched enough was enough, and promptly took down the decorations. I didn't have a tree, just some things arranged along the mantel, holly, and so on. But since it's a large mantel, it is something of a feature, and therefore very noticeable. And I had made it particularly resplendent and was, first of all, very pleased with how it all turned out. Even so, it quickly became oppressive, actually, and the holly itself almost sort of evil, poking at the room like that with its creepy way of making contact with the air. No, I didn't like it one bit, so a week went by, and then it was all got rid of in a flash. The holly I flung directly into the fire beneath, and it was a young fire because this happened even before breakfast, and as such the impatient stripling flames went crazy with the holly, consuming it so well, so pleasingly. I was enormously pleased, in fact, and shoved in branch after branch, even though the flames were becoming really tall and very bright, and the holly gasped and crackled so loudly. That's right, suffer, I thought, damn you to hell. And the flames sprouted upwards even taller and brighter and made the most splendid gleeful racket. Burn to death and damn you to hell and let every twisted noxious thing you pervaded the room with go along with you. And in fact, as it was burning, I could feel the atmosphere brightening. I won't do it again, I thought. I won't have it in the house again. And I recalled the sluggish misgivings I'd felt when the man took the money out of my hand and howled up a tethered bundle of muricated sprigs for me to somehow take hold of in return standing there with his dreadful trident. 
while his young son manoeuvred a small hand around a grim bag of change. The whole thing was solid, and I remember at the time feeling faintly that I should just leave it. But then I located the cause of that regrettably irresolute sensation to an area in me where snobbery and superstition overlap most abominably, and I chided myself for being so affected and fay, what are you, some sort of overstrung contester? I thought, certainly not, then wish them well and get going. And off down the street I bobbed, yet yeah, anachronistic feelings of pity and repulsion notwithstanding. I had a very clear sense of having succumbed to something I was not entirely at ease with, and it was at that moment, perhaps, that the first pair of red eyes partly opened and considered me with age-old contempt. The sticks, in case you wondered, make very good kindling, of course, and I thought it a good idea to collect a nice lot of them before any rain fell and make them damp and less inclined to combust. It was a nice thing to do anyway. Going about the driveway like that, picking up sticks, was a nice thing to do. In I came two or three times and deposited bundles of sticks into the basket in front of the shorter bookcase. It surely was the afternoon by then and the atmosphere had really brightened. Everything was good and nice again because of all that wonderful fluttering industriousness that keeps everything buoyant and encompassed. I'm referring primarily to the birds, of course, who had naturally always been there. During those two days that are decorously seeded to Christmas, whenever I looked out at them, it was not the same thing in the least as when I look out at them on all the other days. And so, though I'd only done what I took to be the bare minimum, I acknowledge that I probably didn't ought to have gone along with the putative festivities at all this year, even to the slightest degree. And anyway, you do it or you don't. All I've managed to bring about with my reluctant tinkering was a subtle yet agitating distortion. One has to have illustrated links with the fair to middling ranks of reality, I should think, in order for something like Christmas to really work out. Otherwise, it just seems odd and sort of accusatory, and one feels turbulent and extrinsic and can't wait for it all to slump backwards into its symbolic envelope and shuffle off down the hill. No doubt about it, Krampus was in tow this year. And when I looked at my lovely sticks, piled so neatly in the basket in front of the shorter bookcase, it seemed not for the first time something of a lapse indeed, that I don't possess the first idea of how to go about casting a spell. Just say a few words, I said, as the sticks are burning, but that wouldn't be right at all. And anyway, what words would I say? And I'm sure they'd rhyme now and then at the very least, I'm hopelessly making up rhymes. It doesn't matter actually because it's all over with and there's no trace of anything now. Besides, there's ever need, never any need, of course, for me to be messing about with twigs and verses and chants on account of the fact that my technique for moving matters along is really quite advanced by now. Quite sophisticated in all sorts of ways, you see, and hardly ever need to dwell upon anything. That's right. I don't go into things too deeply anymore. As such, when they ask, and they will ask, how it all went and had I a nice day, I should say, it went just fine. Thank you. I had a very lovely day indeed. On its own, that's a little pacified, perhaps, and might well be considered evasive and could thereby be misconstrued. So I'll do my bit and say a few tantalising words about the dinner itself. We had pheasant, I'll say, one apiece, wrapped in thick rivulets of streaky bacon, and the whole thing gusted up with such deliciously tart and exuding red currants. Oh, how nice, they say. Was it nice? Oh, yes, I'll say. It wasn't bad. Tender overall, but perhaps a little dull in places. Is that so, they say? Do you think you'd have it again? Sure, I'll say. Sure, I'll have it again. Well, next time I'll do it slightly differently. Next time I'll break the bugger's backbone and do him in the pan. There we go. Thank you. I suppose the first question I want to ask you both, really, um, is about the role of, or the significance of home in both your books. Um, because it seems to me that in very different ways both your books are addressing a kind of unsettled, ambivalent relationship, but nonetheless an extremely sort of intense relationship to what might make physical home. Um, and I'm intrigued by that partly because of the way in which home and the domestic and the kind of, you know, boringness of the domestic has often figured as a way to kind of differentiate between um, or to sort of characterise the concerns of writing by women, whether that's accurate or not, um, is another matter. Um, but so I wondered if you could say, if you could each say a little bit about how home came to figure um, so prominently in both these books. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So the home is where I live. <laughs> exactly. And um, <laughs> 
Okay. No, I'm not being... I, it's where I live, and, and it's how I then inhabit beyond that, I suppose. So, um, and it's where I spend a lot of time. And, um, and also, there, there is... It's, it's kind of thought of in very domestic terms, I suppose, and in terms of family and relationships and so on. And, um, and then... When you live on your own, I suppose it, it might have a, a different um, uh, significance or um, um, your lived experience of it might become slightly different. And, and I think that was something I felt kind of naturally, um, but was aided by certain readings that... that, that um, by well, the one that I quote, I think, at the beginning, the Gaston Bachelard book, The Poetics of Space, particularly, where he, he's not really looking at home just in terms of domestic and family and so on. He, he's looking at it in a more kind of cosmic way um, and of, of how that's your corner of the world and how you inhabit that particular corner of the, of the world. It kind of indicates how you might then... Um, feel in, in, in the rest of it to a degree and, and the relationships you have with that, with that, with that space. That's what I... Uh, what do you think about that? I, I, think, I think it's what you said at the beginning, it's kind of impossible not to have a home. It's impossible not to, for however brief a time you put your things down and, and, and stay somewhere, not to construct something which is partly constructed of space but is also constructed of habits across and so habits are something to do with space across time and I think I was very interested in the idea of what the home is across time and I've written a lot about that I think I think I can't even remember which bit it's in um, but the, the idea of, the kind of, the, the, of, of what a home looks towards that it's it's a kind of towards or a from um, so it's something that happens not not entirely in, um, in just just in space but kind of conceptually in time as well. Um, I guess if, if, if Claire Louise was looking at Bachelard, I was looking at Heidegger's idea of dwelling, which in which he says that um, dwelling is not necessarily something that happens after we build a home. We build a home in order to fulfil this concept of dwelling that we already have from, some, from somewhere else. And so there's this kind of circular concept that if you're in a place and if you're being there, you can't do otherwise than construct some kind of concept around it and then you can't do otherwise but attempt to live by that construct. Because mm. I, I suppose one of the interesting things in, in hotels, for instance, is the way in which the narrator in some ways seems more comfortable in hotels than mm -hmm. at home. And, and there, are, there are lines like, I have made, I've turned myself into a hotel mm -hmm. when speaking of home. So that there's a kind of interesting exchangeability of what counts as a place that you visit and what counts as a place in which you are in a state that isn't in flux. I mean, I suppose that this, this question of the kind of physical nature of home relates to something, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is um, that, again, in, in both of the books, it's, it seems to me that there's an interesting kind of um, combination of both intimacy and depersonalization in both your writing, I mean, in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, for instance, the passage that you just read, like a, a sort of stream of, of thoughts and impressions and mm -hmm. um, sensations. Um, but I think that, I feel that what you're both doing in a way is a, avoiding or sort of sidestepping um, a more kind of biographical way or a sort of more humanistic or psychological way of evoking what it is to be a person and evoking what it's like to, to, to feel what it is to feel like oneself. Um, so I, I was curious about, especially because of the emphasis on objects and, you know, the objects that are around you in, in the hotels and the objects that are in the home and the objects that the narrator is kind of interacting with in very kind of detailed and um, most kind of forensic ways. Um, I was curious about the role of objects in conveying what it is to be a person and what, and what your thoughts are about um, how far one can sort of evoke personhood through writing or what the aims that you had. 
in, in your writing? The, the, uh, the, um, the thing with objects, I, I think... Um, see, my, I, my earlier writing, if I can sort of remember it, when, and it, it started quite a long time ago, um, what was actually I used to kind of just write lists of things I, I could see or that were in my vicinity. Don't know why I did that really, quite liked it. And, um, or I go away from having looked at something and, and then write down what I would record and then, you know, whatever that might, was, something maybe outside or something on my bedroom floor, a list of things that were on my bedroom floor, maybe. Um, because, well, there's lots of things going on with that, I suppose. And one of them is, um, it, there's just something very moving and very powerful about certain things just uh, being there uh, 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 over other things. I mean, there's so many things. And then you have these things out of all of them. And that sometimes can be bizarrely moving. Um, and you, you know, and then uh, in the way that certain paintings are, I love still lives and people don't really like still lives because they're just not very fashionable or interesting. But I really, there's something about them that I love. You know, you see fish and grapes and... And then you have that thing with the... There's always something ephemeral moving through them, like a bubble or some smoke or something on, on decaying, you know? Or, and I, I kind of like that too. So um, I don't know what that means. I can't give you... You know, I don't know what that means. It's just something that I like um, or not like, but just it, uh, mm, connect with or something. Um, and then the other thing is... Um, about that too, I think. See, I've analysed it a bit because I kind of I, I need to because I have to talk about it every now and then. But I, I think maybe what it's to do with I find the world like it's very frightening. Things are very frightening, and I it's I need to keep kind of very focused on a certain area, a specific area. And if I can do that, and if I can just think about my bowl of eggs and my nice candles there and my you know my ottoman here and. It is a bit kind of just staying in my own little kind of encompassed. And then from that, then you can kind of reach off into some kind of other sort of space that's not to do with necessarily um, the world as we perceive it. And it's shown to us, um, it, maybe in a metaphysical way, but I don't have any real strong uh, metaphysical um, the 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 theoretical thing happening there, but I have I have a feeling for it. Um, so these things, I suppose, keep me within uh, a comfortable um, a comfortable sphere of reality. They demarcate a kind of a nice kind of territory for me because I, you know, I get it's. I think things are very frightening, and you know, they can be very frightening. And it's nice to kind of just think well that aubergine's gone off and I can do something about that, you know, or I just go down to the compost now and it's all a bit crazy down there, but that's all right. <laughs> you know, what's the worst that can happen? The worms might escape or I don't know. So, uh... Yeah, I'm just in, in your phrase about sort of demarcating components of reality. Perhaps we can come back a little bit to the process of, of writing this book and as you mentioned, sort of making lists and stuff. So we'll, we'll have to come back to that. But I don't know if there's anything you want to say, Joanna. I don't know. I was just thinking about when folks were saying that about the process of converting objects into words and which objects are converting to words and how and which, how you use those words to contain or to demarcate those objects. And that's that's something that I was, I was very, very interested in when I was writing Hotel, and especially because it was written for a series called Object Lessons, where I'd been asked to justify the idea of a hotel as an object or in, Indeed, I was thinking of it as a collection of objects because I was thinking about the way things are arranged in the hotel. You might have a lot of the same objects that you have when you're at home, but you don't react to them in the same way. There's something to do with their arrangement. There's something to do with that 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 kind of the way that they're they're, they're put together, which makes you react to them completely differently. Um, so there's, there's something to do with there's something to do with words and objects and which words you use for which objects and where you how far you're willing to go with that, which is. Interesting. Perhaps at this point I can ask you to say a bit more about the Dora and Freud element in the book. Because so Dora and Freud come in as sort of characters in the book throughout. Um, and of course, you know, the case study of Dora has been such a like a text for the problem between feminism and psychoanalysis. And you know, it's it's been so rich in generating lots of other writings. Um, kind of critical or creative or, you know, all kinds of things have followed in its wake. And I'm curious about how that um, 
found its way into the text in, in the way that it did in this kind of very fragmented way that you know turns the text into a kind of hysterical text with these disparate voices that are kind of coming into your own account and then slipping back out. Well, I started with Hotel with Freud's Asylme and Heimlich, which I was thinking of all the time when Claire Louise was reading because she had almost two voices herself there, at least two, um, some saying very comforting things and some saying very terrifying things mm-hmm. and each commenting on the other. And um, Freud's idea of the Anheimlich is that um, the word, um, I guess the word Heimlich, the word homely or familiar, contains within it the idea of, um, of, of, of from homely to, to private and then from private to secret and from secret to a secret that's kept for a bad reason and then from, 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 from that to some kind of idea of evil, the, the opposite of, of, of the Heimlich. Um, so that word and its opposite, each containing containing the other, so that the, the, the striving towards something that's homely, something that's familiar, something that's comforting, just turning over really quickly and very frighteningly into things as, as a knot. Um, but Freud and Dora, I, I, I started thinking about because because um, I was thinking about Freud and his clients and his. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Clients often seem to have a kind of quite ruthless life, a lot of which they spent in hotels and indeed in places like sanatoriums and spas, which were akin to hotels, which were somewhere between, provided something which was between a cure and something that was pleasurable. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, that's, that's where I came, really how I came to Dora, because that seemed to be particularly something in which she was being forced constantly into medical situations, um, which she robustly protested against, then indeed exited the narrative eventually voluntarily leaving um, leaving leaving she was just disgusted by, by, by Freud's interpretation of her her situation and, and, and left and um, it's interesting because of course at that point she exits the story which Freud is telling but Freud tells it in a sufficiently open open-ended way um, he is astonished by her reactions and he registers his astonishment and he writes down her words and uh, as far as we know I mean, of course we don't know he may have um, he may have changed them a bit but he, he affords her sufficient leeway that there is a great deal of tension in this story between the two accounts and he allows these two accounts to show and he presents them and, and that the, the tension is very productive and continues to be very productive I think for a lot of people now um, I think I was going to say something else, but I can't remember what. That's okay. Maybe I can ask you both to say a little bit um, about the process of writing these books, and also in particular the question of genre, because I think what I liked a lot about both of these, partly their kind of um, pleasing refusal to engage, I think, in, in trying to satisfy a reader's sense of perhaps what kind of book they are. And I'm, and I'm interested in the fact that um, Pond has been described as a, a collection of, of um, stories. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know how people have tended to describe Hotel, but I mean, in a sense, I'm not interested in how people have described it. I'm more interested in whether for you, in the kind of process of writing them, whether the question of what kind of book you're making is something that you're actively thinking about. Is it something you set aside? Or is it something that you're kind of working against or in relation to? 
And then, you know, later on, the question of how publishers frame something is, is its own separate question. But I'm curious as to how that, that question of what you're making in the process. Well, I it was um, yeah it was a, a, a kind of a concern for for a while what I was um, kind of d- doing and how I was going to bring it together um, just in terms of um, it it kind kind of making um, sense with itself and working on its own terms and knowing what those terms are it, and. Um, so that took a while. That took a while to figure out because I've got like heaps of stuff. Um, the material I have probably weighs more than than I do. Actually, um, it's really heavy at this stage, and I've got loads of it. And it's been just it's been piling up. And I thought, well, what you know, what this is getting a bit freaky now in a way. You're going to be one of those women that just have all this writing and, and it's a bit weird. So, and you're not really doing anything else either. It's not like you're particularly proficient at anything else. So, um, pull your finger out, Bennett. <laughs> and see, see. So, but then, you know, I couldn't really, um, you know, the things I, you know, they weren't really short stories particularly, I don't think. And... And the way my mind is, you know, you have to kind of work with what your mind is like and what you're like. You can't just suddenly become, because it's to do with your outlook and the way you kind of make sense of things. And I, I it's not that I think plot, uh, plot is a uh, somehow a trite thing or a, it's nothing to do with that. I, I think it would be great. I mean, you know, and I, I think it, I think people that do that can do that are, it, it, you know, I, it's it's very difficult, I would imagine, and to be able to hold all that together in your head and put all that out and and keep it, you know, uh, making sense. And but I can't. I just that's not that I can't, and that, and that's the way that's the way it goes. So then I had um, that presents certain challenges because if you're not doing that, well, then you have to be doing something. You have to kind of work something out. So for I, for a while, I I did read around it and 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 looked at maybe different what I suppose principles that could help me think about how things might come together or at least speak to each other. Or um, and then I think actually what happened, I overthought it, and then I had a a, a couple of weeks away on a, a really nice residency somewhere in Ireland, and. Um, and I thought, just print some stuff out and put them next to each other, <laughs> you know, and see what that's like and see what, see what happens then. And that was really nice And because it was a massive room, you know, and no one else was going to come into it. So I could really do that and I could just cover it with things and it was really nice. And that was quite simple. You know, I've been, you know, really wrecking my head for, for a long time about how it might work. So in answer to, is it, a, yeah. But for me, um, no, it's not really short stories. I don't know whether it's a novel, but it's writing. You know, it's writing. It is writing, and it and it um, and it, it 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 makes sense that all those words, or four forty thousand. It's not that many, to be honest with you. Um, like underneath them, there are probably about half a million. That's how I think of it. <laughs> Those are the ones that are exposed, and that's you don't really want any more than that. I assure you. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you thinking about what kind of thing you were making when you were making it, or did you? I, th- I think actually, interestingly, it was interesting that you talked about laying things out on the floor because I did that, but I, I wrote hotel over quite a short period of time because. I had pitched it and it was commissioned, and then I, I was working on something else, um, uh, which I, I kind of, which was just a personal project I really, really wanted to finish to a certain stage, and I did. And I realised I'd kind of left myself with quite a short time to, to write Hotel, and um, I wrote it really quickly. But I, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot behind it. There was not. There, there was. There were a certain amount of, of physical notes, or rather, indeed, mostly computer notes. Cause I, I tend to kind of keep notes and then type them up and also do a lot of stuff directly onto computer. So I have a much less physical sense of, I, I don't have a weight for it, for instance. I just 
have a much less physical sense of, of, of what's going into it. Um, but I do know that there was a lot behind it, and there was a lot of kind of there was a lot of experience behind it, which I hadn't called upon to write upon myself to write before. But it was there in a way. It was it was somewhere there, and I just needed to to do it. And I needed to find various strategies for doing it. And I knew that I wanted some strategies to be coming at it from different angles and using diff you know using different different strategies, different stylistic strategies in it, however kind of formal that seems. But I do I do feel like I, I, I sort of came at the subject from, from lots of bits around the outside and worked my way towards it and it was in in a similar way kind of it, it, in a way it was, it was it was not so much winnowing something from a large amount of material that was there but 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 focusing in from a lot of unwritten stuff that was that was there but wasn't wasn't necessarily all put down, some of it was. Can you both say something only if you want to about what you might be writing now? You don't have to if you don't want to because I know I hate being asked that question. <laughs> I'm writing some I'm going back to the thing that I was writing before I wrote that because I managed to finish it but not to a completely satisfactory degree. And it has bears some similarities to hotel and you know that's that's it's it's kind of essayistic again, but it's kind of cross genre essayistic and um, I'm writing something else which is it, which takes it in a, another direction, but I, I can't go back to that until I've had a relook at this first thing. And the other things I'm writing is approaches fiction more directly, but that's always very difficult. I'm very allergic to the idea of a novel, and I've had to kind of you know to, to come at that again from various oblique strategies and I don't know I guess it's as near to a novel as anything I've ever written but um but that's all a bit alarming too. Eloise <laughs> do you have things that are coming out of the millions of words that you already have? Or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no I do no I will say I will say that because I um just feeling kind of like talking about it. And I'm not actually often feeling like talking about it. So now that I am, I may as well just say a little bit. In a way, I was thinking, you know, Pond is a bit like a head, it is a bit like a hedgerow. And, and there is a thing behind the hedgerow, which is the thing that I've always wanted to write about. And it's still there. And you can glimpse it. it in Pond, there are glimpses of the thing. And so um, the thing that is behind the hedgerow is I'm going to, and hopefully, it actually requires quite a bit of courage in some ways. Um, I never mentioned, I've never said this before, but I think really that um, Pond is a love story, really. I've never said that before. I probably should never say that. I won't ever say it again. <laughs> but so there you go, that's enough of that. That looks very nice, by the way, whoever did that. The display, it looks lovely. Is that why we were put together? Because they just look so nice. <laughs> Hotel and pond, they look great. They do go very well. Yeah. The writing on Hotel was going to be blue, but it turned out green. It could have matched you. Oh, wow. Yeah. OK. Let's have some questions from the audience. This one here. Just picking up from, from that last comment uh, about, about looking at the books, I, I, I've been struck just having having got both of them and looked a little bit into each of them that uh, the publishers seem to have done you proud. And there's there's a rather nice design things. I mean, two points I would pick out is that in Pond, as far as I can see, they've made sure that each new story or whatever it is starts on the right-hand page. And that sometimes means you've got this rather attractive feature of having pages that have got numbers but nothing else on on them so design is nice and and in in the case of hotel i was very pleased to see it's got a got a good index so what what i'd be interested I'd be interested in your comments on uh i mentioned your comments on uh your relations with your editors and publishers and you know what they brought to the to the final production, as it were. Uh, <laughs> I, I had no idea I was going to get an index, and so I was quite surprised. To, no, I didn't. I had no oh. idea it was actually an index, and I never, I'd never thought of it. Um, I was quite surprised, and and I just kind of read it as another reading on my work. 
I looked at it and I thought, oh, they've noticed this, they've noticed this. I think this bit's important because they've noticed it every every single appearance. Oh, they haven't, they're, they're not really interested in this bit. Um, so I was, I was kind of surprised and delighted and I just thought, this is a reading of my work, I don't really, you know, whatever, it's, it's nice. Um, I did have a bit with, I, I set all the kind of screenplay bits, and I, which I think of as screenplay, or, you know, Catherine to play, so, um, but I, I think it's screenplay. Uh, because I write quite a lot about film in the book, as I'd, I'd set them as a screenplayers in, in kind of a career font with uh, the, the, the name in the middle in capital letters. And I, I submitted my manuscript to the editors, extremely painstakingly set out like this so that exactly all the fonts were, were as they should be. And they sent it back a few weeks later as a proof, and they, they'd taken out all the formatting whatsoever, which just left the these, these, these kind of pieces of dialogue, which I, I really wanted to emphasize, I've got to say, before are, are, are exactly what the people said, the, the various writers said. I didn't want to make up what writers were saying to me. I wanted their, their words to intrude on what I was thinking. Um, but no, it was all sort of removed and everything was in the same font and it, you know, everything was kind of justified to the edge of the page. And so it just looked like I'd, I'd strangely put some strange quotes in the middle of my work with no explanation. Um, so yes, the visual was very important to me, and they they put it back when I explained this. <laughs> but they've been great. I, I love everything else as well. Yes, hi. I think you should get your publishers to buy you more lunches. <clears throat> oh, good. Lunches right. always with uh, with more wine. Never mind the font. Um, I thought it was very interesting, I haven't read both the books, but both of them, is that you've both got a very strong sense of identity. And I wonder, looking back at them now, a year later since you've written them, whether you recognise the identity that you wrote in then for who you are now. Well, see, that's interesting, because in a way, it's kind of like anti-identity. Um, and so, I was... Um, I've always sort of been interested in in that thing of of you know self and identity and those things that then we do in order to um, establish ourselves and um, the way other people kind of then recognise us and how we recognise ourselves actually day to day and and then you go oh yeah that's me again and. Uh, Will I, will I think that thing now again? Or will I think another thing? And, or will I keep liking that? Or, you know, and things like ambition and stuff keep you on that track of, um, of accomplishing stuff. And then, and then that uh, firms up, really. And so all the time, what you're really trying to do is, is pull ground beneath your feet, in a way. And so... You know, there there's that other, you know, that idea of uncertainty and um, that what's his name? Talk, I can't remember his name. No, it doesn't matter. But um, that thing of of trying trying to live without without that as much as possible. That and that's something that um, I didn't really have to try to do very much actually because it was quite natural. And then you think, well, am I just a bit of a drifter? And then I think, no, I'm just being very zen, actually, right? Um, so, so in terms of identity, I don't see that. What I, what, I, what I feel from it is a certain atmosphere. Yeah, I do. I feel a certain atmosphere when I read it. And I miss it. I'm, I'm, I miss it to a degree. I can't say that that is uh, not... not uh, I won't say it's autobiographical, but I won't say the opposite either. Be simply because those words are very, um, they have certain uh, uh, def definitions and um, we understand them in very specific ways that I can't really go along with. So it's difficult for me to kind of um, align myself with them entirely. Um, but I know, obviously, when you when I'm writing, whatever I'm writing is coming out of where I am and my environment and what it feels like to be there and what my life feels like and what life itself, what existence feels like at that particular time. And certainly, at, yeah, when I read certain things from it and I go back into it, I do I do miss certain things about about it. Yeah, I do. But that's all right because. Um, I will, I will feel, 
Something was just very strong then at that point for me. Something was quite strong. In some, on a very, you know, in a very like existentially or cosmologically, creatively, in a weird romantic way, there were some very odd things happening, but they happened at the same time. <laughs> and it kind of made sense, you know. If just one of those things was happening, it would have been weird. But, <laughs> but if you get a lot of really weird things happening all together, you know, it's like, it's not weird at all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Ooh la la. <laughs> um, I guess this is a question, first of all, for Claire Louise, and it, it might also be a question for Joanna. Um, Claire Louise, um, when the book first came out in Ireland, I think it was in one of the first, earliest interviews, you talked about the fact that often, or possibly always, when you start to write a piece, you can't tell whether it's fiction or something else. And the something else has sometimes been objects that cl most closely resemble what we might call an essay, I guess. And I wonder if it's possible to say at what point you can tell. When you talked earlier about plot and about the avoidance of plot, um, there wasn't, it wasn't entirely clear what the thing that fills that gap, that absence, might be. Be, and I wonder what it is. Is it something like tone or sensibility? Those would be things that, that one shares with the essay. But I mean, it's a sort of basic question: how do you how do you know when you've got what it is that you've got in front of you? Um, I think I think in terms of maybe those pieces, like I think sometimes there is there is a sort of. Um, a, a, a thought or, 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 or a, like it has rigour, right, I think. It's not just a stream of fucking consciousness, is it? Which just drives me nuts. I don't think it, I, you know, it's not just, there is, there is, um, and, it's, and it's about that, and it's about, like, I had an opportunity to be in an environment where I could attend to a sort of, like a di this sounds a bit, I don't know, hocus pocus or whatever. But I think that there, I think that there is such a thing as a kind of an a, an inherent wisdom or a deeper wisdom. I do. I I kind of go along with that. I sort of tried not to phrase this because it was a bit weird. And I live in Galway, which is full of people who talk about things like inherent wisdom. But um, and 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 it doesn't. Yeah. But I think I actually do believe that there. And and so I was able to sort of just. Um, get um get somewhere along that um in some way and that was just really nice that was just re a really nice thing to experience because i came away from a very sort of intellectually driven and academically driven uh mode of of processing things and putting things together and you know that's grand and that's all right and i can kind of do that a bit but it, it was nice to get into into different layers of of interior logic, connections, associations, <laughs> and then projections, and then and then you're just like you're just tripping. You're just on this like mad trip of like, you know, and it's brilliant. And you don't need a plot because you're tripping. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a bit tired. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> It's Ch and, it's Ch and it's Charlie there, because I could do with another glass of wine, to be honest. <laughs> Is he, where's he gone? I'd love another glass of wine. Are there any more questions? No, I've, I've got another one. In, in a way, it follows on from that, and it's a bit to do with genre. I, I mean, it, I, I don't know if they're all like that, but I, was, but I started, well, I read through one of the early stories, if that's what they are, and it struck me that... There, you could also regard them as dramatic monologues. And has, uh -huh. has anybody, I mean, you were doing it like an actor in, in, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, but have other people, I mean, I, I could easily see yeah. them being staged or, you know, whether, whether for radio or on, on the stage. And almost, uh, there's almost a need, or, or reading it, you supply the tone of voice and the gestures that somebody might be might be doing and it and 
I suppose the question I would like to ask is if one looks at, it, at your at Pond as, as being in some way dramatic, as mm. uh, each story, if that's what you call them, uh, in the same voice, or are they different voices? Um, well, well, certainly there is there is a, a, a dramatic element, yeah, and a, and a, and a um, I, I was in that sense. I have been. Um, um, I love. I mean, I love Beckett. I do, and I discovered him quite late, and and I, I didn't really have much of a sense of. Um, how he was thought of and um, the stuff around him. I, I think I got, there was something free in The Observer years ago, some of his um, novellas, First Love, and, um, and, I, and I read them in a couple of days over, over a weekend, and I just thought, wow, you know, this is, this is really what it sounds like in my head, you know, this is really, yeah, yeah, nothing, I, you know, I, I've, I don't finish too many books, you know, I start them and I know they're good, but I don't know. I just then I, I, I realise I haven't really looked at them again for a few days and then I, I don't go back. And, but there was something about what he, where he was and where he brought me and then that world that we occupied that I, um, that just felt very comfortable for me. Um, and I have, I, I was involved in theatre for a while and quite a while and um, and when I write I, I, I write aloud um, but I like it being I do like it being on the page I love reading I love I love reading in these kind of environments and stuff um, but I also like it being on on the page I think it I think it can work kind of flat on the page as words um, read um, too I hope so um, but certainly, as I write, I write aloud, yeah. That's how I think of, I think of language as a spoken thing, I suppose, and that, for me, is where its um, interest for me comes from. Which is weird, because I hate dialogue, you know? I don't like writing dialogue. So, I'm just talking to myself, I guess. <laughs> Thank you very much, both of you, for reading and for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.